Please turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1, uh, verses 5 to 9. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. We're continuing on in our series, um, Blueprint for Godliness from the book of Titus. Last week we thought about how godliness is to be the goal, not just of our own lives, but of our church. And this week we're thinking about a really key aspect of godliness, a really key building block for being a godly church, and that is godly leaders. So Titus chapter 1. Reading from verses 5 to 9. Hear the word of the Lord. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Let me just pray for us as we approach God's word. Father, we come to your word uh, in this moment, recognising that the one to whom you look is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at your word. So we pray, Father, for that humility, that contriteness of spirit, and that trembling fear as we hear you speak. Father, give us hearts that would submit to you, listen to you, trust you, uh, and obey you by faith uh, as a result of our time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, I don't know if you've been watching the Rugby World Cup recently. Um, but one of the kind of bigger shocks of the tournament um, has been Australia, who are all but out of the tournament for the first time in its history. Um, one of the big reasons why that's the case, or many commentators are saying that that has happened, is because they are such a young team that are lacking in mature leadership. Uh, you compare that to a team who's going well in the tournament, like Ireland. Uh, they have a, a great captain, um, Arguably one of the greatest players in Irish history is their captain, but they don't just have one good captain. They have multiple mature, experienced leaders within the team. Titus 1 verses 5 to 9 is all about the need for leaders in the church. And not just any leaders, godly leaders, godly elders who hold to the truth. That's what we're really going to explore this morning. So if you're a Christian and you're listening to this, you need to have godly elders in your life to love, lead and shepherd you. You need to have godly elders who, when they serve faithfully, are a gracious gift to help you grow in godliness. Titus 1 shows us what those elders are to be like and the kind of elder that we are called to submit to. That's what Hebrews 13 calls us to, to submit to those who are in leadership over us, to submit to your elders. What kind of elder are we called to submit to? As a church if we want to grow in godliness, if we want to guard the gospel and be an effective witness in our town, then Titus lays out for us the kind of godly leader we should appoint and be led by. And Titus 1 also exemplifies the kind of character and the kind of life that God has in many ways called all of us to live. So come and see how, how good it is and come and see what God looks for in a leader. Consider how different and, and how much better the, the kind of leader that God loves and, and calls for. See how much better that kind of leader is 
than to the kind of leader we would see in the world and maybe some of the leadership we've unfortunately experienced. Consider how the, the character and the shepherding role of an elder points also to the chief shepherd, to Jesus, who leads his people, the church, by laying down his life for them. So the big thing we're going to see here this morning, the big response that's called of from you and I from this passage is that we must appoint godly elders to be a godly people in church. We must appoint godly elders to be a godly people in church. First thing then we see together in these verses is this, to be a godly people in church, we need, first of all, elders. Verse five, if you look down again in verse five, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I direct you. So disciples were being made on the island of Crete and these disciples were gathering as churches in, in the various towns of Crete. Yet it seems that these churches were young, they were still establishing themselves and they were without leaders. They didn't have any elders yet. This is why Paul has given Titus this job. He's given Titus a job to do what was left undone, to do what was still still needed to be done. And we notice that amongst a number of key things in verse 5. Notice, first of all, the appointment of elders is necessary to complete the establishment of these churches. Titus needs to put what remained into order to, to, to do what was left unfinished. Appointing elders, therefore, is a non-negotiable in establishing and sustaining a healthy church. Matthew 28 and Acts 14 really show us how important this aspect of appointing elders and establishing leadership in in the church is for the, the establishment and the growth and the health of a church long term. Matthew 28, which we're all familiar with, the Great Commission, uh, says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then Acts 14 verses 21 to 23 is the sequel to that. So the Great Commission is the first part, then the sequel or the next part is Acts 14. When they had preached, this is Acts 14, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, so they've made disciples here, they've done Matthew 28, they've done the Great Commission, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So you see there those key steps, make disciples, strengthen disciples, appoint elders. Second key thing we see in verse 5, it's elders plural. And we see that in various other places in the New Testament. It's not just one person, it's multiple elders. Why? Multiple elders squares with the scriptures teaching that wisdom is found in a multitude of godly counsellors. We see that in the book of Proverbs. Multiple elders are also required because multiple elders best ensure the pastoral needs of the church are met and the faith of the church better defended. That's one of the big issues in Crete that we'll explore later on in Titus. Multiple elders are necessary for the church also to multiply. Multiple elders is necessary to ensure that that Matthew 28 Great Commission and Acts 14 cycle is replicated. 
And notice that that is Paul's main missionary strategy. That's his main strategy for releasing and and preaching the gospel to the nations. He he goes, he preaches the gospel, he disciples those who believe, and he plants churches and establishes elders. That's the pattern that we are to follow. That's the blueprint that we are to follow. That's what we're doing here. That's why we're doing what we're doing in in air. Why we're establishing a church. Why we're seeking to appoint leaders and we should pray that that would be true of not just us in our church but that that we would be used whether us ourselves or as part of our networks that we're part of to to see future churches planted and future elders appointed so that disciples can be made and strengthened and multiply and maybe also just to say this even though titus doesn't directly address this it's important to note that elder isn't the only office of leadership in the church elders along with deacons are the two offices the two types of leaders that Christ has ordained to serve and lead the church under the authority and headship of Christ elders specifically are to shepherd the flock by authoritative biblical teaching and oversight deacons who are subordinate to the elders are to care for the physical and practical needs of the church to create unity in the body and to support the work of the elders third thing then we see in verse 5 is that elders are to be appointed in every town. We saw that again in Acts 14 that we just read. Elders were appointed in every church. Each church is to have its own plurality of elders. That's the consistent New Testament pattern. Churches are to be autonomously governed by a plurality of elders. Uh, A while back at one of our members meetings, we kind of crystallized our definition of what uh, our governance should look like or what our governance at Harvest Air is. We describe it as Christ our head, elder ruled, deacon served, congregationally sensitive. That's what we believe is the New Testament um, pattern, the New Testament teaching for the church. Christ is the ultimate head of the church. He delegates authority through his word to elders who rule. Deacons serve the church and we are also sensitive to the congregation. We recognise that elders don't rule by dictatorship. We seek the affirmation and the consent of our congregation. Yet, given that, that every church is supposed to have its own plurality of elders and is to be autonomously governed, we also see a clear pattern in the New Testament that churches are to closely partner with one another for the sake of the Great Commission. That's why we're part of Uh, a network of churches called the Great Commission Collective. That's why we're uh, part of a West Coast Gospel Partnership in Scotland. That's why we're uh, partnering with our sending church, Harvest Glasgow, for uh, rooted churches to see more churches planted. We are autonomously governed, but we closely partner for the sake of the Great Commission. That's so key and it's such a joy. Fourth important thing we see then in verse 5 too is this. Titus is to do this. He is to appoint elders. We are to appoint elders as directed. It's not optional. We don't get to choose how the church is led and governed. We don't get to create our own leadership structure. We are to do this as directed. It's not optional. This is a requirement, something we are not to neglect for our good as churches and for God's glory. So maybe if we bring some of this together, we must structure the governance of our church according to the Bible. It is our authoritative guide. The local church, our church, if it is to be godly, growing, thriving and multiplying, must have a plurality of elders who serve the church by governing and leading the church. You and I, as Christians, should aim to be part of churches that have a plurality of elders who shepherd and lead the church. That's how God's designed it. That's how he's 
designed it to function and be led, and that design is good. We can all work towards this through praying for future elders and deacons to be raised up, by praying for the current elders as we seek to lead in the establishment of these offices, and as we'll focus on in a moment, by men particularly within the church aspiring first to godliness, and then the fruit of that being aspiration to the office of elder, which is a noble task. And just to let you know that, of as we've communicated, but to, to reassure you, the establishment of elders is something that we are praying about as elders. It's something we are planning for and actively seeking to cultivate. Yet it is also something to be done patiently and not in haste, as places in First Timothy would um, direct us. So we need elders, but not just any kind of elder, godly elders. That's the second thing we see in these verses. To be a godly people in church, we need elders. Secondly, we need godly elders. You look down at verse 6. If anyone is above reproach. Above reproach then really is the headline qualifying characteristic of an elder. It really is the the, the headline, the, the banner under which all the other characteristics are uh, gathered. We see it repeated in verse 7 as well. It encapsulates all these other characteristics we're about to see. Above reproach really means that an elder's life gives no one, whether that's outside the church, in the church, or in their own family, it gives their life, life gives no one any reason to think badly of Jesus or of the church. They are free from accusation. The, the mud doesn't stick to them, so to speak. And it's important that we consider why is character emphasized here, not ability and skill. Notice the space that's given to what an elder is to be in verses 6 to 8 versus what an elder is to do in verse 9. Why? Why is this emphasis placed on character? Well, if we go back to verse 2 in Titus in chapter 1, godliness accords with saving faith and knowledge of the truth. If someone really gets the gospel, really believes it, it will bear fruit in the form of a godly character. So if we want the church to be led by those who really believe in Jesus, who have a sound faith, then we must appoint the godliest men in the church. This is over and against the kind of false teachers we'll meet in verses 10 to 16 of chapter 1, whose unsound faith bore the fruit of ungodliness in their lives. That's how they were noticeable. That's how they were identified as those who were false teachers because they were ungodly. Character is also highlighted here because the main task of the elder, preaching, teaching, shepherding, if that is not backed up with a godly character, it becomes hollow, fruitless, and also can be deeply damaging to the life of the church. It will lead to a weak church and a bad witness. Oswald Sanders, in his book on spiritual leadership, says this, the character of the elder should command the respect of the unbeliever, inspire his confidence, and arouse his aspiration. Example is much more potent than precept. <coughs> Example is much more potent than precept. Charles Spurgeon is also worth repeating on this matter. He says this, quote, Our character must be more persuasive than our speech. <coughs> Here's the reality. Elders are constantly preaching and teaching, often with words, always with character. That's why character matters so much. So we're about to dive into these characteristics in, in a bit more detail. But as we do that, 
Here's some things for you to be considering and thinking as we work through these things. First of all, here are the kind of elders we need and should appoint. Here are the kind of elders to look for in the church and submit to. Here are the specific things for those who aren't elders to be praying that their elders would grow in and be. Here are the kind of characteristics that need to be cultivated for those aspiring to the office of elder. And though the context here is specifically characteristics of elders, um, consider the kind of things that we see here in verses 6 to 8. These are, in many ways, the kind of godly characteristics we're all called to. In fact, Don Carson helpfully uh, notices this when he says this, quote, the, the most extraordinary things about the biblical prerequisites for elders is that they are not all that extraordinary. He's right, isn't he? Elders, yes, are to exemplify these characteristics, but as we'll see, these characteristics are scattered throughout the rest of Titus in reference to all believers. So, as we go through these characteristics, be thinking also about your own life, your own godliness, your own spiritual fruit. And maybe to say this also, in a world where manhood is often associated with toxicity, where the man vision for manhood is being defined by people who, who are the, the, the likes of Andrew Tate and others who are unhelpfully, deeply unhelpfully defining what manhood looks like. Here in Titus 1, 5 to 9 is a positive, biblical, creational, beautiful vision for manhood. For the kind of men that the church needs, this world, and, and the kind of men this church, the church needs and this world needs. Men who shoulder kingdom responsibility, are faithful to their wives, who lovingly lead their kids, are godly in character and who hold to the truth. As we approach these characteristics, it may be helpful to categorise them under two areas. Above reproach at home and above reproach in character. First of all, above reproach at home. If you look down at verses 6 to 7, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or junkard or violent or greedy for gain. First of all, he must be husband of one wife. Literally, really, this means he is a one woman man. This man, this elder, elders should be able to be held up before the church as an example of marital and sexual faithfulness. Yes, they won't be perfect, but they should be able to be held up with integrity as an example of marital and sexual faithfulness. Of course, this doesn't mean an elder must be married. It's just that if he is, he must be sexually pure within marriage. If he isn't married, he must be sexually pure outside of marriage. And if he is married, it's not just that he's an example of marital fidelity, but that he also evidently loves, nourishes and cherishes his wife. That his wife is willing to submit to him and that their marriage serves as a good godly example to others. Really what this is getting at is that if a man is not faithful to love and lead his own bride, then he cannot love and lead Christ's bride to church. And two things are implicit in this statement, husband of one wife. Firstly, God's good gift of sexuality, God's good gift of sexuality is to be expressed only within the safe, godly and life-giving boundaries of one man, one woman in lifelong covenant marriage. The second thing that's implicit here is that elders are to be male. It's husband of one wife, not wife of one husband. I'm going to come back to that in more detail in just a second. So elders are to be the husband of one wife. And the second thing in the home is that their children are to be submissive. 
The verse says his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So if an elder has children or a prospective elder has children, his children are to be submissive to his parental authority. They don't need to be perfect, but they mustn't be children who run wild, so to speak, and who evidently reject parental authority in the home. This, of course, primarily applies to children when they still live at home under their parents' authority. And you might be wondering, as you read that verse, if they must be believers, if they must profess faith in Christ. Well, given that believers could legitimately be translated as faithful, and you might have a footnote in your Bible which uh, points towards that, given that that could be legitimately translated as faithful, and, and taking the parallel list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 into account, where it says that he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, and given that Titus 2 seems to emphasise the concept of submission, it seems that what's in view here is not that all his children must be converted and regenerated as Christians, but that they are submissive and generally obey their parents as they are disciplined and instructed in the Lord. And again, we might ask, why does Paul here start with the home? We see why, given two key words in verse 7, overseer and steward. If this elder, if this prospective elder can't oversee, can't lead and steward and manage the responsibilities of his own household, which as a father he is to lead in particularly, then he doesn't demonstrate the ability to oversee and steward the responsibilities of the household of God, which is the church. 1 Timothy 3.5 makes that more explicit. He says, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And I think also that there's something to the fact that what a man is behind closed doors in his own home is what he really is. What a man is behind closed doors in the privacy of his own home is what he really is. And no matter how much he might try to put on a show outside the home, what he sows in the home will become evident to the world. Now on to the question of why only men can serve as elders. And let me just say, say first of all, Sex is not the only qualifier here. It is only godly men who are to serve in this office. And the reality of that is that most men will not serve in this office. I acknowledge that this concept uh, of men uh, only, uh, eldership, may be jarring to you. Uh, maybe you're hearing that or reading that and uh, you're um, perplexed or maybe even feeling frustrated right now. Perhaps you personally believe or have been part of churches that believe women can serve as elders and that women can preach and teach within a gathered, mixed context. And I'm not naive, we're not naive to the fact that in our context, in our region, in our town, we are in the minority with respect to this issue. Although let me just say that historically speaking, we've only been in the minority for the last five minutes. This has been, the view of male-only eldership has been the predominant view of the church for, for a, a long time. And I appreciate even those who maybe are amongst us this morning who aren't from a church background might initially read this as uh, misogynistic and maybe even dehumanizing with respect to women. In essence, it comes down to this. What does God have to say in the Bible about the role of men and women in the church? What does God have to say about this? Because what God says is authoritative. It is to be trusted, it is to be humbly obeyed, and 
It is good. It is good and it is right. So why would we believe or obey or do anything other? And whilst what's in view in our passage this morning, uh, particularly it pertains to the role of men and women in the church, we would be naive to think that this is not tightly bound up with the wider question of what it means to be made male and female. That's why our understanding of the role of men and women in the church, though it's not a salvation issue, has significant ramifications for how we understand the role of men and women, not just in the church, but in the home and in wider society. And also has significant ramifications for how we interpret the Bible. That's why this issue matters. And what we are witnessing in our current culture and in our churches around us is what happens when we don't follow God's good design for men and women in the world and in the home and in the church. It's what happens when we make men and women simply interchangeable. Maybe it's helpful at this point to read uh, the statement that we have as a church on this issue. We have a list of doctrinal distinctive statements which speak to what we believe and what we teach and how we function as a church. And we have a statement on this very issue of uh, male eldership and male uh, leadership. Here, here it is. Harvest Air affirms the God-ordained and significant role that women should play in establishing and leading the local church. Every leadership opportunity is open to women except those that are excluded by Scripture. The Scriptures clearly state that men are to serve in the office of elder and that women are not to serve in church positions in which they exercise authority over men or in which they teach doctrine to men. We see that in 1 Timothy 2.12, 1 Timothy 3.1-2 and Titus 1.6-9. We do not see this as an issue of equality for men and women are equal under God. The Bible is clear that men and women do not have the same roles. Qualified women should serve in any leadership position that is not forbidden in scriptures. So that's our statement. Men are called to shoulder specific kingdom responsibility in a way that is unique from women. Who, by the way, are also called to good, godly, unique kingdom responsibilities, which we'll see later on in Titus. This is part of God's creational design it doesn't shift with culture and when followed faithfully will cause the church the home and the culture to flourish here's my encouragement to you uh, if this is new to you or if you're just figuring this out for the first time or maybe you don't like what you're hearing stick around ask questions come and see how these beliefs play out in the life of the church of this church come and speak to me or to others about this And we will go to God's word together and see what it has to say on this issue. Let me just speak to the men amongst us this morning, maybe particularly. Let me encourage you to aspire to grow in godliness and to step up and shoulder kingdom responsibility in the church and in the home. The fruit of which may be eldership. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to consider how you can step up and shoulder joyfully, gladly, kingdom responsibility in the church and in the home. And let me encourage the women here to aspire also to grow in godliness and to gladly embrace their God-designed and vitally unique roles within the home and the church. So elders are to be above reproach in the home and they're to also be above reproach in character. So we approach these characteristics. It lists first the characteristics that the elder is not to be and then the ones that he is to be. What must an elder not be? He must not be arrogant. 
That is, he must not be stubborn and self-willed. He is to be humble, not boastful, doesn't think more highly of himself than he ought. He should not be quick-tempered. He is a man who is slow to anger. He doesn't vent easily. He doesn't stir up strife. He doesn't speak rashly or harshly. He's not to be a drunkard. That is, he is to be sober. He is not to be addicted to alcohol or other substances. He is someone who has self-control over his physical appetites. He is not to be violent. He is not to be a bully or, or an abuser. He is not quarrelsome and confrontational. And lastly, he is not to be greedy for gain. He is not a lover of money. He is a generous man. He doesn't gain wealth dishonestly or unjustly. What he is he to be then? He is to be hospitable. That is, he, he is kind to strangers, to newcomers. He willingly uses his resources, his home for ministry. His disposition is to move across the room to make someone feel welcome. He's also to be a lover of good. He is to love what God loves and hate what God hates. He longs for and is actively involved in doing good to others. He's also to be self-controlled. He is wise and controlled in his thinking and decision making. He does not allow sinful passions, lusts or idolatries to control his decision making. He's also to be upright. That is, he, he lives righteously and justly according to God's standards and cares about righteous and justice around him. He's also to be holy. And not, not so much in the set apart sense, but in a devoted sense. He is to be devoted to Christ and lives to worship him both personally and with the church. And lastly, he is to be disciplined. This is slightly different from self-controlled. Self-controlled speaks to decision-making. Discipline speaks to desires. He has his passions and desires under control. He is not mastered by them. So, here are the kind of elders we need and should appoint. Here are the kind of elders to look for in a church and submit to. Here are the specific things for those who aren't elders to be praying their elders would grow in and be. Here are the kind of characteristics that we're all to cultivate in our lives. And for men who aspire to carry such kingdom responsibility, the first step is not aspiring to the office, but to the character and godliness of the office. But most of all, as we read these list of, this list of characteristics, we recognise, don't we, that we have all failed in these things Yet there is one man who hasn't, Jesus. He is not arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy for gain. He was perfectly hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He honoured his parents. He is the faithful husband of his bride, the church. And he not only held to the truth, but he is the way, the truth and the life. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the ultimate head of the church. Elders serve under his authority and in light of his ministry. Elders preach the good news of forgiveness of sins. Jesus accomplishes it. So all of us are to come to him in repentance and faith for forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness for where we have fallen short in these characteristics and trust in his perfect life, sacrificial death and bodily resurrection for us and for eternal life. Come to him. Be led ultimately by him. Know his shepherding care in your life through the presence of his spirit and through the elders he has gifted to the church. To be a godly people in church, we need elders. 
we need godly elders and thirdly we need godly elders who hold to the church verse 9 if you look down with me he must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it elders must be men of biblical conviction they must hold to the trustworthy word is taught they aren't supposed to be inventors of truth they are to proclaim a truth that has already been taught and which is found in the bible and we'll see a, a truth which is later summarized in titus chapter 3 verses 3 to 8 they're not to hold to this truth lightly in a climate and culture where many abhor the bible's teaching where many claim to be Christians but twist the Bible, these kind of elders, these men must hold firm to it and herald it, come what may. And here we see that in, even in the main competency of the office of elder, that is to teach, the ability to teach, even in the main competency of the elder, teaching character is still emphasised more than competency. He is to hold firm. That is a characteristic thing. That's a character thing. He To hold firm is to, to stand firm with, with confidence and assurance and boldness and courage. A, a man could be a great Bible teacher, but buckle easily under pressure when it comes to his convictions. Two key aspects then to holding firm to the truth. He instructs in sound doctrine and he rebukes unsound doctrine. He instructs in sound doctrine and rebukes unsound doctrine. Elders are to be men who know their Bibles well and can teach the key doctrines of the Christian faith. This is vital because sound doctrine leads to a sound faith and a godly life. We need elders in our lives who faithfully teach and preach God's word to us. If we don't have that, instead of our faith being sound, it will be starved. We will become unstable in our faith and eventually we may, may even end up straying away from the faith. On the flip side of that, they are to have sharp spiritual radars that recognise contradictions and are able to correct them. We'll see in verses 10 to 16 in a number of weeks why this ability to both teach and rebuke is so needed and so urgent. Spoiler alert, there is a lot of things and a lot of people out there that can and want to lead you away from the truth. And the biblical image of an elder as a shepherd here is really helpful. We need elders, we need shepherds who both feed us and guard us. The 16th century reformer John Calvin said that a church leader ought to have two voices, one for gathering his sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. He's to have two voices, one that instructs and one that rebukes, one that feeds and one that guards. Along with prayer then, this is the primary task of elders. They are to feed the sheep, they're to feed the church with God's word. And they're to correct them when they stray and guard them from false teaching, both from within and from without. Church members, Christian, sit under elders who hold to and teach sound doctrine. Expect that from them. Look to them for explanation, exhortation and help in understanding the Christian faith. Be willing to listen to their instruction and also humbly receive their gracious and faithful rebuke. You need it for your own spiritual health. I need it for my spiritual health. We need elders, godly elders who hold to the truth to grow in godliness. 
We need this to be reminded to of the hope of eternal life, which we saw last week in verses two to three. The elders lead in the teaching of the church, yes, but all members are called to instruct and rebuke one another well. We're called to speak the truth in love to one another. We're called to admonish one another. So yes, the elders lead in this task of instructing and rebuking, but it is something we are all called to. Submitting and sitting under elders who are sound in doctrine will equip us, encourage us and train us to do that well, to do the ministry we've all been called to. So if we really want to be a godly people and a godly church, we must appoint godly elders who hold to the truth. Godly elders who rule under the authority of the chief shepherd, Jesus, who embody his character and point to the forgiveness of sin and eternal life that he offers. So here's the encouragement this morning. Let us pursue and pray for these things with urgency and conviction and in the confidence that Jesus, the chief shepherd, provides for, shepherds and builds his church. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you most of all for Jesus. We thank you for his perfect life, his sacrificial death and for his bodily resurrection. We thank you that he has died for the church, for his people, that he is gathering us, that he is saving us, that he is shepherding us. And we thank you, Father, for the gift of elders, which Jesus has given to the church, of pastors, of shepherd teachers who are to feed and to lead and to guard the church. Father, help us as a church to appoint godly elders. Help the elders of this church to be godly. Help us all to hold to the truth. And would you provide for and strengthen and build our church in the ways that we need, with the leaders that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.